0: This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to PortlandDistro.com. Thanks to everyone who has joined Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate it. I have to say that I'm humbled by the show of support. And it it's really means a lot to me. And, um, you know, in April, like I said, we're going to make that donation. And, um, yeah, so your you're little bit helps Number one, helps this show, and number two, helps people uh, you know, deal with uh, illiteracy in this country. So with that said, I'd like to thank Evan and Christian for joining. Um, cheers, and uh, welcome aboard. Good day, Ralph. How are you? Um, I'm okay, Mike. Uh, it's a very stormy day.
1: It's a stormy Saturday afternoon, and uh, I've just been through excruciating two weeks of grading papers and um yeah a lot of school work because yesterday they the kids got their term papers so it's my first
0: weekend where i don't have to work anything for
1: school so that's kind of chill oh, that's um, good
0: man yeah how are you doing doing okay um you know, it's I mean, we're having a snowstorm right now and um so yeah it started snowing yesterday and now it's like pretty pretty full-on there's a lot of i don't know there's maybe about four maybe four inches of snow on the ground bit late for a white christmas uh-huh. huh yeah you know it's uh the weather obviously is uh changing um uh-huh. you know some people are arguing that uh global warming is not a thing you know and <laughs> i i tend to disagree with that you know and um i don't know well then you're then you're one of these sheeple you know one of these yeah, sheeple dude I, i'm you know man i'm so fucking tired of of all this like partisanship and all this like you know staunch lines being drawn and it's just like denial of science you know or or even in having a lack of understanding of science at all and um and especially the mongoloids that are out there that that are talking about science who have no idea like what the fuck science really is either you know oh man yeah it's just like uh there's this. Uh, I have this tradition that, like,
1: on on German TV, GE, on the first station, like the we have like the first, second, and third stations. They're like the official government stations, and then there are a lot of private stations. And the RRD, like the uh, first German television, um, they have an institution called the Tagesschau, which is like the news, the the basic uh, daily news, and it's like on on eight eight p.m. until eight fifteen, and it's like my tradition to watch that. And like for years and years I've been doing this and for like the past months I'm just like, I can't stand it, I just don't wanna watch it anymore because it's it's politicians talking bullshit, it's like reports of people doing stupid things and then Russia here and this and there, it's just like everything is so fucked and I'm just
0: like, dude, no, I'm too bummed out, I don't wanna see this anymore. I think in general people are getting tired of just the, news overload and the opinions and all this stuff and all this editorial that's going on. And, uh, I kind of stopped, um, like I'm very measured in the amount of news I read every day. Like I'll scan the headlines. I mean, I, I still subscribe to the New York times, um, online. So I get, you know, headline notifications every morning and, um, you know, I, I just get very selective about the stuff I read these days and, and I don't want to go down any rabbit holes and, and I have to say, even even the New York Times, who is one of those uh, you know very left leaning publications that seem to be holding on with white knuckles to the pandemic, even they seem to yeah. be uh, sort of optimistic about this thing declining in the next few months. Yeah, yeah. At
1: some point, like uh, uh, what I think, what they're trying to do here, like like the prognosis are also that like in. In late summer, like most people will have been ill and probably then we'll have like this mass immunity kind of thing and normal right. mutations. Another thing I read is like in five years, this thing will be contained. Other people are like, ah, for the next 20 years, I will wear a mask in no. <laughs> the, the subway. And I'm like, God, God, no. Now, for me, like my world right now is I'm watching Fox News and I'm subscribing to Tucker Carlson. That's like he's he's my icon now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah man I um yeah it's just funny man the whole thing and and I I uh I just try to like I, I'm I'm done really I gotta be honest like I yeah I'm finished I'm moving forward with my life you know like uh yeah. trying to book tours trying to play shows again you know we got yeah. stuff coming up and um I'm just uh I'm I'm ready you know ready to roll I yeah. was I was ready last it's, year but you know, know.
1: what are you? Doing? it's so cr- it's so crazy how the divergence is like in the countries again. Like for some times, I had the feeling that everybody was on board and like all the governments kind of went the same way. But now it's just like when I when I watch like like everybody knows by now, I guess it's like I watch AW wrestling and you see like these packed stations with like ten thousand people, eight thousand people. Some of them wearing masks, most most of them don't, and like they're doing their shit and. Concert videos are uploaded and like in Britain now like Boris Johnson who Who was like they found out that he had like parties while he was like telling everybody they can't have parties So he had parties and he's like he's like stopping all the like measurements for like how to proceed So masks will be no more thing if you want like it's just like on public buses You have to wear a mask aside from that everything is normal, but they're like like current rate of of like infections is gigantically high with omicron but there's just like yeah but it's not so difficult and people here everything's super strict just schools stay open everything else is shut down and it's just so annoying it's like why can't it just be like one course and you believe in this everybody's doing their own shit and it's just annoying and I, i don't know man germany is really strict again and I have no faith in anything of that anymore. Like I'm doing my own shit. I'm wearing my mask when I need it. Um, yeah, I'm just careful. And thank God I'm not the outgoing person. But like,
0: as long as cinemas are still open, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, um, you know, I don't know. I was in, I was in New York City uh, a couple of days ago. You know, and people are wearing masks on the streets. Like they're just uh, going deep with that. In depend in Manhattan. I mean, imagine if you go all the way out in Queens or Brooklyn. People are yeah. probably not wearing masks anywhere. You know that's just kind of yeah. how it is. You know, but um, you know the level the level of uh, you know right wing ignorance seems to increase the further out you go in in the boroughs. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But in yeah. Manhattan, there yeah. are people like wearing masks, and I'm just like, I don't know, that's a little extreme. I'm hey man, if you want me to wear a mask, that's cool. You know, I'll, I'll put a mask yeah. on. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I just um, yeah. that's not the hill I'm going to die on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to start trouble if you want me to put a mask on, but I generally, I won't wear one, or I don't wear one, I should say. You know? Yeah. All right, so yeah, to, yeah. to this week's episode, yep. man, we're uh, diving into probably one of our favorite musicians of all time, man. I know, speaking for myself, uh, Roland Howard is, uh, man, I've always been a huge fan of all of his music, and... I I can even say that on on a very, at least philosophical level, his guitar playing has influenced my playing as well, on some level.
1: Yeah, and uh, you're you're one of many, and he's like, what I would call, like when I thought about this episode, I thought like, we're doing a lot of these unsung heroes episodes. We had like an episode on Jeffrey Lee Pierce, who is kind of like a very influential musician, but never successful on a wide level. And uh, um, then there's the Roland Howard. And like, I mean, we will go into the details of all the bands he's been in. And there's so much music he did, and all of that stuff is incredible. And like you said, like his guitar playing is so unique. I would say he's the Australian Johnny Marr, um, except for Johnny Marr just did one thing. And like, he had all these bands and brought so much to the world. Um, but I thought about like okay, where where you and like for all our podcasts, like I thought of like Paul Westerberg of the replacements for being like a songwriter extraordinaire and a lyricist and Roland S. Howell was a great lyricist. And I think like the closest we get to him is Kit Congo Powers. That he's
0: been in all the good bands. Oh yeah. The cramps, gun club, you know, yeah, the, the list goes on with yeah. him too. Yeah. And, Roland's list is equally as amazing. So, for starters, uh, Roland Howard was born October twenty-fourth, nineteen fifty-nine, in Melbourne, Australia, and passed away December thirtieth, two thousand nine, in Heidelberg, Germany. Which um no, no
1: what... wrong wrong. Sorry. wrong. He Heid- die- Where did he Where was he then? Where did he ha- die? He died in Heidelberg, but Heidelberg, Australia. Oh shit. God. Yeah, because God. he at this at the end of his life, he he decided to go back to his family because he oh, missed his right, mother. right, right, right,
0: right, okay. And,
1: and he died, yeah, and I was like confused, like, oh, cool, Heidelberg, I lived there. Like, I didn't know he died there because we already shared the same birthday, except that he was 20 years older than I am. Um, but uh, no, he died in Heidelberg, Australia.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, wow, okay. Well, I'm leaving that in because uh, I also want to segue into the fact that Heidelberg is where you and I met, in Germany, not in Australia. Yes, correct. Am I right yeah. about that or am I wrong about that too?
1: <laughs> no, Anodon actually toured Australia and you know, I'm about, to, I'm about to reveal that I was in Australia all the time.
0: The whole time I thought we were in Europe when we were in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as desolate as some
1: places you played where it could have been like the Outback, I guess, except for that it was shitty weather. When you played at Ex Steffi in Karlsruhe at three in the morning or something, and it was snowing outside for like 20 crust punks that didn't understand what Anodyne was doing.
0: Yeah, that was desolate. Yeah, that's. Uh, I still have like some PTSD, I think, from that European tour that Anodyne did. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, it was definitely an experience, man, for sure. But you and I did yeah. meet in Heidelberg, Germany, and that was where we uh, we yeah. found each other in this uh, desolate world, and our, we forged our friendship, so that's important yeah. to me, you know? Yeah, right, so good enough. We'll keep it in. And uh, it's just like always the same thing. It's like, dude, you died in
1: Heidelberg? It's like, wow. I'm just like, Oh no, that's like that's a thing in Australia. But the funny thing is, if you check it on Wikipedia, Heidelberg is linked as the German Heidelberg, but then it says in clusters, Melbourne, uh, Australia. And then I checked on the map, and it's actually just like a shitty small suburb of Melbourne.
0: Okay, all right, yeah. I mean, there's the German Heidelberg has like all these awesome castles and stuff like that in it. So,
1: yeah. 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 The, the like, the, the, the story goes that in, in Mannheim, Germany, where you played that show, that's, um, where I saw you the first time was that, and I think it was the first show of that tour because Ralph Bach booked it and it was in Mannheim, his, his, like, his venue. Yeah. And, um, um, uh, dude, oh, shit, I forgot where I come from. Uh, damn. What we were talking about? We were talking about
0: Anodyne playing Mannheim, and that was the first uh, show of that tour. And uh, right, yeah, and that's where you, you, you. I don't know if we met that night, but you were at the show. No, I, point.
1: no, because I saw you, and I was like, I wanted to say like, hi, I'm Ralph, and you guys will stay at my place for a few nights in a couple of days. But you guys looked so pissed, so I didn't talk to you. Oh,
0: man. Yeah, and <laughs> I thought like, okay, uh, this this tour is already going great. Yeah. Well, literally, that was like, the. I mean, we had just arrived in Germany, man, on that morning. And, you know, the time change and not being able to sleep and being totally, like, shot as far as, like, our, you know, consciousness was going. It was, uh, it might have been a little grouchy that night, maybe. Yeah, but I I remembered what I wanted to
1: say because uh, Mannheim had, like, uh, a lot of GIs. Uh, There was like this big army station and like close to Heidelberg was another one. Um, So the rumor is that like Freiburg, Germany and Heidelberg, Germany are like two of the most beautiful cities you could go to in southern Germany. And they both weren't bombed in the Second World War because story goes that the G.I.s had a lot of girlfriends there. So they didn't bomb the place.
0: (laughs) I can understand that. Uh, I find, you know, yeah. I, I like that strong, uh, you know, European look myself. So, yeah, I can understand not wanting to bomb the uh, the, yeah. the city, you know, of Mannheim. Yeah. yeah, but but like Heidelberg is a beautiful place. And I mean, I remember
1: I took you to the castle on the mountain. It's like between two mountains and the river, river Rhine
0: going in between it. It's really picturesque, you yeah. know. On the, on the other side of that, Dresden was bombed into the ground during World War Two, So that's a completely brand new city, apparently. Yeah, but they still have like some of the old buildings they restored and they're
1: beautiful. And Dresden is a fantastic city. It's really beautiful. Great to play shows there, but they have like one of the highest rates of uh, right wing idiots and anti vaxxers. So if like if a German tour bus went for a capital riot to the States, um, they pretty much would
0: come from Dresden. You know? <laughs> I think uh, Kurt Vonnegut wrote about um, the bombing of Dresden. I forgot what's there was a Catch-22. Maybe am I getting this wrong again? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, yeah. I don't know. I remember when when on that tour we had a date in Dresden. And I was thinking about how the city was completely destroyed during World War II. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: there's a lot of like a lot of new buildings, but they've got like a really like a huge amount of old stuff and they repaired a lot of that stuff and kept it. So.
0: In this episode, we're going to talk about British people, I think quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> you know, just <laughs> not, I, Hey man, I had nothing but love for the UK. Uh, you know, yeah. shout out to, uh, to, you know, my, our buddy Jackie Smith, who actually is South African, but lives in, in the UK. And, uh, yeah, cool. You know, a lot of good people in, uh, in England, but there's a British uh, attitude that sort of is, is prevalent, especially if you come from the colonies like me or from the formal, uh, former penal colony of uh, Australia. So I feel like Australians and Americans being former you know, colonists ha- get the same sort of uh, treatment in, in, uh, in England. You know what I mean. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about that later on in the episode. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you said, like South Africa is like. Uh, do you remember the quote from Henry Rollins about how Henry how, uh, Rollins' guitar sound is
0: in the in the Ultraluminous documentary? Um, he said a lot of great things about Roland Howard about yeah. his you yeah. know the heart being punctured in several places and the. His yeah. songs weighing more because of the weight of blood and all this stuff. But I, I don't recall yeah. specifically what he said about his guitar style, though. Uh, he, he said like
1: uh, his uh, his weeping guitar sounds like an an uh, like an African aborigine with uh no not Aboriginal, like an African native with a uh, malaria trying to make his guitar sound like he feels. That's Interesting.
0: A, that's like yeah. Well. Let's, uh, that, that's a good point because Roland Howard has a very distinct guitarist style, style, but it wasn't always yeah. so like when his earlier bands, um, you know, the let's, 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 let's there's other bands that he had, there was uh tootho in yeah. the ring, the obsession, but the young charlatans were probably the first significant band that he did. And, uh, cause that was when he wrote shivers, which was a, um, which ended up being a boys next door hit single, at least in in yeah. Australia. But yeah. that um, the material that the Young Charlatans played was pretty much uh, pop oriented, uh, you know, vaguely psychedelic like rock. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind I'm of, very- kind of very, very. I would, I hate to say ordinary, but uh, yeah. it followed like typical song structures a verse, chorus, bridge, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, his favorite band by that time was the was Television. And
1: I mean he was sixteen by that time. So like I, I've, you you can find it on Spotify, but there's like stuff on there on YouTube or like you find like obscure blogs. And also like uh, Mike and I will reference the the documentary Autoluminescent um about roland s howard which all of you out there if you don't have it and you can't get it on dvd like i do you can buy it for two euros 50 on vimeo you can watch it in hd quality and it's a well spent two euros 50 um and yeah like you can hear some stuff by the young charlatans and i mean that dude was
0: 16 my bands when i was 16 didn't sound as good as they did yeah, he's one of those uh you know geniuses in my opinion i mean if you think about yeah. uh roland howard and ian curtis you know ian curtis wrote all the joy division stuff before he was 23 years old yes you know and Damn. with this like totally world weary sensibility and that <clears throat> that voice that he had you know it's just those lyrics the weight of the yeah. world was on that guy's shoulders oh. and the same thing with with roland howard the sheer output and sophistication of his abilities at the young age of 16 like i don't even think i knew how to play three chords when i was 16 years old
1: yeah and it's funny that you mentioned joy division because like
0: uh when
1: you read books about joy division or watch the movie like there's a bunch of documentaries and i guess probably most of you out there will have watched control which i still to this day like a lot um the attitude that Ian Curtis had that, like, okay, like, I'm, I'm becoming the best singer ever and I will be the best frontman ever without ever having proven anything. So, before you could, like, put his money where his mouth is, he already was, like, really cocky about it. And that's what the people said about uh, Roland Howard when he was in Young Charltons that he went to other bands and said, like, I don't like your band, but I like your talent. <laughs> and, like, diminishing them already before they could, and they were like, dude, like who the fuck are you? You didn't do jack shit. And I mean, the Young Charlottes pretty much were a good band, but that morphed into The Boys Next Door. And like you said, The Shivers was his song that he brought to the table, which became a real, like a big hit that has been covered a
0: lot of times. Yeah, there's a video on on YouTube of uh, of Boys Next Door, you know, like a, like a rock video, you know, of them yeah. you know, playing it. Yeah. But um, and it's, yeah. But you know, the the, the uh, boys next door would become the birthday party. Like it was basically the same lineup. You know, but the, yeah. But stylistically, there was a huge difference in sound and approach to the yeah. music. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like I was saying
0: yeah. earlier, like uh, at some point in the birthday party when they transitioned, that's when Roland Howard really developed his his sound, like that angular, yeah. creepy, distant yeah. sound that he had. Yeah. I b- Before we go into the birthday party, because I think that's like
1: one of the two biggest things in his career. Like uh, they have a lot of good bands, but like two things are definitely the ones that like people associate with, with Roland Howard. It's when, um, when the young Charlton's transformed into the boys next door, Nick Cave was in that band. And uh, for the song Shivers, Nick Cave live played the guitar and Roland sang it. But at some point, Nick Cave developed this, like, also this poshness. And then there was the discussion, and he said, like, to quote, that's what he said in the documentary I'm the singer, and I will sing the songs. So they recorded Shivers in a version where Nick Cave sang it, and I really like this. But now, in retrospect, in the documentary, Nick Cave says, I shouldn't have sung this song. It was his song, and I could never do it justice couldn 't do it back then, even with my ability now i couldn 't do it because this was such a personal song and he says like right now, I believe that Roland Hood should have sung this on the record
0: well well, let's stay on this shivers thing for a minute because I got a couple of notes here about it too, and that yeah. that was kind of like um like Nick Cave and Roland were almost diametrically opposite in in their yeah. their uh, approach to music in some ways I mean yeah. I, in the documentary, they talk about how Roland Howard was kind of fascinated with Nick, Nick Cave's like barbaric sort of loudishness, you know, where yeah. and um, Nick Cave and my, my impressions of his approach was definitely more this like visceral uh, kind of like focusing more on depravity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then yeah. Roland, Roland Howard was like the romantic, you know, with like some yes. ir- ironic lyrics and things like that. And yeah. I actually prefer, like, they, they have pieces of the Roland Howard version in the documentary. And I I, I actually do like his version better than the Nick Cave version.
1: Yeah. That's like, I mean, I, I just knew the Shivers version of, like, the Boys Next Door. And for, for two years, it was the only Boys Next Door song on, on Spotify, for example. I have a bootleg copy of the Door Door record. And... Uh, it's a great record and but it's like you see like this is a very young Nick Cave, he didn't know what to do and it was prior to heroin and uh, but but like a good band and uh, then it's like okay so he she sang this and I heard it like in the documentary and I'm like this is it's so much more authentic in a way but um, as much as like uh, Roland Howard was impressed by Nick Cave's savagery, like Nick Cave said that he came like that Roland Howard was the total package in he like he got to know him and he already had a clearer view of how he wanted to look, how he wanted to play, how his bands should sound and and that's something that really impressed me because for me right now when we started Ropes of Night I knew how this band should look and how this band should sound but I'm 42 now and started like when I was 40. Olfa had like took some time to develop. But this guy was 17 or 16 and he knew what he wanted to do. And like when you see early footage right up until the end, he always had the same style. He played the same guitar through the same amp. He just used it in different forms for the different bands he was in. And that's something
0: I completely uh bow my bow my head to. Like that's amazing. Yeah, you know and and Yeah, if you dig into the lyrics, too, it's even like the songs that Roland wrote have like, like definitely more, I would say almost uh, more literary, like this use of irony and things like that. And Nick Cave's like lyrics are more just like, you know, it's a wild world, hey, you know, like very, Mm -hmm. very, you know, primal, you know, and even the opening the opening line to shivers, I've been contemplating suicide, but it just doesn't fit my style. You know, nah. it's like, I don't know, it's just so good. And apparently that song was written as an ironic response to um, the extremity of young love. You know, like, because, you yeah. know, he was 16 when he wrote the song. So even at that age, he was observing how people reacted to these, in the big picture, probably very minor relationship, uh, you know, sort of sagas. and. Yeah. By by observing how serious people took that, you know, that's he came up with the song shivers. And I thought that's a pretty, pretty brilliant thing. I don't think I clearly didn't have any ability at that age to, to be that ironic about anything, you know, and I just think that's, yeah. you know, the sign of like a, a musical genius, in my opinion, you know, yeah. Totally, because he could do it all. He could write songs, he could play, he could perform, and he could
1: write lyrics. And he talks about like how much the English language is fascinating to him, and that through lit- Nick in, in the cave, he found more literature that he just observed and uh, like um, and you just like like uh, he soaked it in, and like they had a lot of discussions about it and uh, where like he said like his own songs that he writes for himself they're always like heartbroken love songs, songs from stabbed heart where he started later on writing more absurdist lyrics for the other people in his band singing the lyrics for example for Nick Cave but in general like the whole dynamic especially in the early part of his musical career between Nick Cave and him and Girls is very fascinating that like people said about him he like Roland Howard was always in love with girls who weren't in love with him and uh, at some point like there's this girl Anita Lane they talk about and like he, she came to a party and Roland saw her and he was immediately in love but Nick got to talk to her and he said like at the end of the party they were a couple and so there was always this this anxiety and this 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 jealousy in a way which like was a like kind of a friendly rivalry for sometimes, but there's always a girl and always Nick Cave and him and they are like had one was together with them, like they were a couple and then they broke up and then they were best friends and the other came like were in a relationship with them. So that's very tense, like as a camaraderie, like you're in a band together and you're like in love with the same girls and then the girl you love is in love with the other other guy. And through all of this, you gain some success with your band, and you're a big name. And then you decide to break it all away and go to Bur- uh, go to Britain,
0: go to England. Yeah, that was that was interesting because um, I think Roland Howard is the one who says that they had this perception that people that lived in other countries had um, you know had some different level of uh, of sophistication that was lacking in Australia. Yeah. But when they arrived at, uh, in England, in London, it was a complete, um, disappointment disenchantment apparently. And, uh, yeah. and at that, at the time they arrived, that's when all this like kind of shoegazy stuff was, uh, was happening. And you know, they were just, they stated in this documentary about how they were just really disappointed that no one really appreciated them. And, and not only yeah. that, the press was really brutal. You know, because they were, you know, England, in my perception of England, they've always been very uh, prone to following trends. And uh, especially like in the mainstream, I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, underground stuff, really. But, uh, you know, the mainstream press people that would cover music were very flavor of the month, you know. And the fact that the birthday party with this kind of like hard rocking band With this like image and you know very dark it just didn't jive with what was happening at the time in england yeah and especially like the 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 decision to like
1: they just found out about heroin i'm bringing this topic up a lot but it's just (laughs) like that that's because in the end like uh, this is one of the key things that that changed him and, and changed them and drugs were a big problem in the life of roland howard especially in the end when he like understood how how much it affected him but like they decided to move to the UK from Australia and they didn't have any money. And so they lived together in an apartment with like sometimes with 10 people, they say. And you come from a background where your band is kind of a popular thing and you play shows to a, like hundreds of people and you go over there no one gives a shit about you. And then you're there, you're disoriented and you're like, OK, so what the fuck now? We believe in what we do, but no one gives a shit. And then NME, like the New Musical Express, this is that's a music thing that I think no other country in that form has. We all new music magazines, but like the almost daily newspaper with a new hit band or hit band every day. That's something I've never heard of, except for like New Musical Express. And then they start and they decide like, oh, no, like it, it's fumbling here. Let's try the U.S. And they went on the U.S. tour and they played three shows in New York. And I mean, they played, like they said, a total of 25 people over three shows, got booted off stage, like after 10 minutes at the first show, played to one person at the second show and the third person at the Ritz, they made a show like they played for 25 minutes and then they got booted off the stage again.
0: I thought it was funny they were talking about the show that one person came to it was like some Polish girl that they said they'd put on the guest list <laughs> it was yeah. awesome yeah yeah but then again like a two year like a year later they played to 2,000 people yeah I mean that's what happens when you're ahead of your time like this man it's uh I mean yeah. let's talk about their music a little bit because I don't think you know no one was really if anyone was doing anything remotely similar to what they were doing, no one was getting it. I mean, the, the whole yeah. entirety of their career existed between 78 and 83. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't a punk hardcore band. So they weren't doing that early, you know, hardcore style, you know, which was big in the early 80s. So they were like these like outliers. Like, I can't even imagine what bands they would play, play with, like in the United States. Like, you know, the Swans. Yes, were, probably. Were, were, uh, that's probably the only U.S. band I can think of that was similar to them. And they weren't, you know, filling rooms either. People, they were doing the same thing. People were being alienated yeah. by them. And uh, uh. at that stage, it was very much this, like, you know, dark, very not commercial thing, you know. And then, and they also had this attitude of trying to really incite the crowd. And that's what happened in their New York shows. There was a. Uh, He referred to the Ritz as this like mafia style, like club, which I thought was really funny. I, I I never felt that way about the Ritz, but I mean, I didn't, I only, I've only been there like once and it wasn't until like 1986, 87 Mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah, it was just, um, you know, they, they were being accused of trying to start riots at the shows and they had this very confrontational attitude. Yeah. I mean one, one band that comes to mind where you could think like they'd probably be the
1: band they could have played with Sonic Youth, but Thirst Moore, like they, they talked about the first shows they played together was like with these uh these immortal souls. Yeah. Um so so they were like I guess I I'm not really not a Sonic Youth fan, never got it. Like two or three songs cool, but like I'm not a fan. But you can clearly hear from their style how they play and what they do that they I mean, he like Thurston Moore is in that documentary next to Kevin Shields and Bobby Gillespie of Primal Scream, the Jesus and Mary Chain guys. Yeah, yeah, yes. All these people were influenced by Roland's guitar play, and like with Sonic Youth, you can clearly see like they they stole a lot of tricks from
0: his book. Let me. Add, so I was actually going to ask you what your feelings are about Sonic Youth because I'm I'm a not a fan either. I mean, I have a few of their records, but I wouldn't say that I'm a fan of the music. Yeah, I. There's
1: this, when I, when I grew up, like we talked about this on earlier episodes, like I'm that kid that's like VCR like DVR, like I, I don't know, like how I programmed my video recorder to like record Headbangers Ball in 120 minutes, Yo MTV Reps. So in 120 minutes, there was pretty much no week without a feature on Sonic Youth. Um, I loved Nirvana when they came out, and I saw this uh, the year that punk broke, where they toured with Sonic Youth, and I always like appreciated them for like the thing they did, but they always I don't know like they never felt like a band that I wanted to like because they were just so unsympathetic, and um, I have total respect for their body of work and. There's some songs that are great, and sometimes I wish I, would, I could be a fan, but they never click with me.
0: The only songs I like are the ones that Kim Gordon sings, to be honest. Oh. you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I think I have the feeling that I would probably dislike uh, Thurston Moore if I were to ever have to spend time with him. You know, oh. and uh, I met, I met some of the like, uh, what the hell, Bob Burke, the guy who ended up yeah. being in the Chrome Cranks. Not mm-hmm. a fan of him either, man. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know. I just, um, I always, I mean, there's a handful of songs I like by them. Like I like death Valley 69, you know, it's kind of cool, like pretty cool video, whatever. But, uh, uh, by and large, I'm not a big fan of their music, you know, but, um, yeah, they, they were like the bubblegum version of good bands. I think, you know, like for example, the uh, swans swans, I picked them over Sonic youth. Sonic youth is like a more palatable version of the swans or maybe the birthday party and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah when I when I when I like started listening to all this music, that
1: was when uh, when Dirty came out in ninety two. And so you had the video for Youth Against Fascism, which I to this day think is a great song and a good video, and sugar cane. Um but then it's like I bought the re- I remember like back then I just bought all the records that I got and like it has a hundred percent. That song is also great, but it's not, nothing I really put on a whole lot. Like I, I did mixtapes back then. I was big on like for myself because yeah. I didn't have any friends that I that understood the music. But I also like tapes like live recordings for, with my like cassette player in front of the TV and recorded like I don't know like Cannibal Corpse that Headbangers Ball or stuff like this um and did mixtapes with that and i like that there was always a sonic youth song on there and extra therapy and all these bands but it's the, the same with dinosaur jr i never they never did anything for me like wow.
0: yeah i probably like dinosaur more than i like sonic youth because like uh there's like yeah. a handful of of uh, dinosaur jr songs i really really like and i've, I've seen you know yeah. i've seen them play a bunch of times and but yeah, the, none, yeah, honestly, at the end of the day, none of that stuff has any real meaning for me between those two bands. They're totally off topic, but what's your feeling on the Pixies? Love them. I love the Pixies, actually. Uh, I, um, uh, You know, they always, all their records, for the most part, were on major labels. I mean, they were like a huge commercial band, you know what I mean? Yeah. And... um I, I like them quite a bit. I still listen to them, man. I you know I still listen to like a lot of their music these days. And um, I thought they were great songwriters. Great. I think if pop music sounded like the Pixies, that would be satisfying to me. Yeah, for me, they're always the alternative
1: Beatles in a way, sure. because the songwriting is just so good. It's good. that it's glad. I'm really glad that you say this because I love them, and I wanted to pitch the idea in our circle of like Jeffrey Lee Pierce, Paul Westerberg. Now rolling S. Howard, and we should do one on Frank Black. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, totally. Bob Mould I would throw in there too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. But uh, but back to the birthday party. Um, that is a band that uh man, I continue to listen to them and find different nuances in their music. And uh yeah, so that that's obviously there's a huge reach. And um, you know, they have influenced like tons of other musicians and a more newer band quote unquote newer, even though they've been around for over ten years, but is really yeah. starting to become more of a force commercially, is a band that you and I both really like, Bambara I feel like they are yes. direct disciples of the birthday party in some ways. Totally.
1: Like the, the way they they play life, their their energy, also that the bass is the main driving force and the guitarist is doing textures of noise on top and they're so unique in what they do and then when i when i saw them the first time supporting nothing i was like Bambera, what's that kind of name and then i saw them play and i was after one song i was a fan and that hasn't happened in years and ever since then Bambera is one of my favorite bands out there right now um and we just like at the ropes of night rehearsal yesterday we talked about them and like martin or guitar player said like their bambara is the the pop desolate of Pop, uh, of the birthday party, because the birthday party had moments of clarity, and mostly there were like destroyed noise in a way, and Bambera writes hits, but in the construct of like birthday party method
0: yeah, no, nah, totally man and and I think that's a powerful combination for them, and I'm really, really looking yeah. forward to them and anyone out there who hasn't listened to it yet, I interviewed Reed from uh, Bambera last year or you know, I don't know, at some point over the last couple of years. So there's an episode on everything went black that if you dig birthday party and Bambera, you should check it out. as we talk about all that. Yes. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: birthday party, uh, was pretty much born in the UK and then did this stuff because like it was the step away from the, from, uh, the boys next door. And it was just like Roland Howard said about himself that like, back then, he kind of found something in him that wanted like wanted out a lot of anger and frustration. And he says about himself that like the heartbroken love songs that he used to write and later on wrote again, they were completely not there. And it was just like, uh, it was just pure force and pure agony. And that's what he like. He just experimented with pedals. And put them together in the weirdest way and just like made noise without ever really touching the guitar. But was able to make like almost ambient soundscapes in noise without like actually using a pick or something. And that's art. And he, he even made that work. He can write the most tender, beautiful love songs. And he
0: made the harshest noise out there and still made it beautiful. Just real quick, I want to address like the UK again. And, and look, man, you know, anyone out there in the UK, love, man. Just nothing but love for the UK. But, uh, yeah. you know, being, a, being from the colonies out here in the United States, it's like there's definitely a thing, man, and I feel it. Going to England, and I'm sure the birthday party felt the same way, also being colonists, you know, like from Australia. Mm-hmm. The UK make you feel like an outsider, man. You know, they very much yeah. so. If you're doing something creative and trying to take it to them, you know, I've had, I don't know how many times I've had conversations, not so much in tombs, but like when Anodyne, actually, wait, now it had to be with tombs. So we, Anodyne actually never played in England. Oh, no, maybe it was with Otis. Yeah, even back in mm-hmm. the 90s. So we did we did some shows in England on that tour with Fetus, and it was like, you know, talking with the British people about like how they created punk rock music, and they created heavy metal, and they created everything over there, and we're just like pale fucking... You know, uh, imitations of all the stuff that they do and all that. And I'm just like, I don't agree with any of that stuff. Because, I mean, let's face it, man. Punk rock music was created in the U.S. of A, man. You know what I mean? Even even like the whole, you know, Stooges, all that stuff, man. Like the 50s, the Chuck Berry, like all that stuff is what contributed into creation of punk rock music. Even like, you know, the Ramones, like all that stuff harkens back to Girl groups, the essence of punk music as a style of of uh, 20th century art was, yeah. in, in my opinion, and I believe to, I'm correct on this, was all started in the United States. And that's just I the mean, way it goes. Nothing against England, man. You guys you got yeah. your things, you know, like you, you got to figure out the food over there a little bit better for me personally. and You got to, you know, I'm not a big fan of tea myself, but that's just kind of how I see it, you know. Yeah. I'm backing you on
1: this. It's like, I mean, they can the the, the British can say like with the damned new rose, they have the first single that was actually called a punk record. Yeah. They they had like the big hype about the Sex Pistols, a band I never really cared for. And like uh, from G them, they're like they're the 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 problem like Sex Pistols to me is what was the problem with punk later on. Like it was all image and no substance. Yeah, and I think a lot of the American punk bands that, like, quote unquote, called themselves punk, they actually had something to say and did something. I love The Damned. Like, the Damned are a great band. I like them better when they got the gothy touch. Dave Vanian, still one of my favorite frontmen of all time. A lot of great British punk bands out there. I mean, Undertones and all these bands, Buzzcocks, super important. But I'm also like, Birth of It, America, best punk bands, also America.
0: You know, and I love many, many British, some of my favorite bands like Joy Division, Bauhaus, Motorhead, you know, these are these are my favorite Iron Maiden, you know, UFO. These are all some of my favorite bands of all time. So I'm not trying to slam the UK. I'm just trying to say, you know, there's a thing, you know, there's like a stiff upper lip that 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 they seem to have. And I find that, you know, sometimes it makes me uh, defensive, I guess, you know, yeah. Yeah, and when they, when they had enough of
1: the UK, they made the move, a lot of bands do, and I, I know bands that I love that moved from New Zealand to Berlin, they moved from Britain to Berlin, uh, from, from Sweden to Berlin, and even from like in Germany, like complete bands try to find luck going to Berlin. It's the mecca of music in a way. To me, still a difficult city. Like all the shows we ever played with all my bands have been great. We've always got a lot of love there. Whenever I walk around Berlin, I feel like a complete alien. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy that sticks out because like I'm six six tall. I always wear black and tattooed, and still there, I look like the palest person in the world <laughs> because everybody's so over the top. And yeah, trends go there and get absorbed and. And uh, yeah, a lot of, especially again, here I go with a drug topic, um, bands like uh, Soft Kill, no, Soft Moon, not Soft Kill, but like the guy, he moved from from the U- U.S. to Berlin and he said, like, I had to leave Berlin, otherwise I would have died because of all the drugs I did. And the funny thing is that like Wim Bender's, uh, like the famous uh filmmaker and we will address his movie that is super important story of Roland. Um he said that like before the birthday party came to Berlin, people were doing speed and were trying to be punk. And then they brought heroin and jaguar guitars to Berlin and that changed everything because everybody wanted to be Roland S. Howard
0: or Nick Cave. Yeah Berlin's awesome man. Like I've I've been I think the first time I went to Berlin was like 1995 maybe and mm-hmm. uh, yeah it was a trip man especially uh you know i'd never been to europe before and that was like one of the standout cities on that whole run over there ironically i saw um T tea perform in berlin on that, oh, uh, wow. on that that first night i've ever <laughs> i was there we mm-hmm. played with a uh, fetus and bark market and uh in the same venue in a larger room uh, Ice T was playing, so obviously we just went over to check him out, and that was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, uh, Berlin is such a um, such a universe in and of
1: itself. I mean, when you when you like, like for all of you out there who haven't been to Berlin, Berlin is so unlike all the other German cities. It's so tall, like it's so large. That like you could play it's pretty much comparable to New York you can play like three shows in Berlin different parts of the town and you won't have the same people at the show and like to, to go from one side of Berlin to the other by public transportation will take you two hours so it's it's larger than any other city in Germany and um when you drive there, you like, you pass a lot of towns and typically like from here where I live, you pass Leipzig and all these towns. And then there's like a desolate wasteland and you're just like always approaching Berlin and it takes you an hour to approach and come like you pass Potsdam and then you're in Berlin. And then when you're in Berlin, it will still take you 50 minutes by car to
0: get where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's a, a very comparable to New York. I think, um, yeah, definitely, uh, berlin and, and Hamburg remind me of of new york style cities just Hamburg more for like the sleaze element of uh of it uh, yeah one of the more notable things in berlin also is uh you know a wall used to uh divide the city you know between east and west and uh that's always like a interesting thing to check out when you go there yeah yeah like uh also
1: one of again one of the cornerstones of our history together is that uh I, I I recorded some video footage in front of the Berlin Wall singing David Bowie's Heroes for you.
0: Yeah. Sometime I wanna you know there's there's actually no formal release of that song. Yeah. There's just a video. Yeah. And there's there's two versions of that song too, actually. Yeah. There's two different mixes and uh at some point I wanna release that as uh, a as part of something like a b-side but that was that was great man like heroes by david bowie was like i i always associated those two things the berlin and that song i think it goes back to me watching a film called christian f like back when i was in high school which took place in berlin and coincidentally uh was uh, had to do with heroin addiction which we can yeah. we can blame the birthday party for bringing heroin? To, uh, <laughs> yeah. at least to the music scene. And Christina F wasn't
1: like the music associate, but like uh, yeah, that's I think as much as like you, the, the the like the crack epidemic in New York, and this is something that people always connect. And to me, like the, the '80s music scene and heroin in Berlin kind of go hand in hand.
0: Yeah. So this is actually an important part of uh, the history here, because this is actually where the birthday party disbanded and Nick Cave met um, Blix of Bargeld from Neubauten. And that was like the, the, the seeds of the, the bad seeds. There we go. The seeds of Nick Cave and the bad seeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then before all that happened, or actually after that, while they were still in, in, um, in, in Berlin, Roland Howard uh, joins Crime in the City Solution. And uh, that, yes. he was only in the band for a, a period. You know, he wasn't like a yep. founding member of that uh, outfit. And uh, that was essentially uh, Simon Bonney, the vocalist. He was, uh, that was kind of his band. Yes. And uh, Mick, Mick Harvey, another member of the birthday party, and, uh, and Roland joined this band. And what's c- the cool thing about it, you mentioned Vim Vendors and yes. his incredible film, uh, Wings of Desire, which is the English title of uh, a yeah. film he made, and uh, he's yeah, for, uh, the um I guess the German I mean you 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 should say the German German title yeah for all your ignorant German people out there for you it's
1: the Himmel über Berlin the classic Wim Wenders movie uh, with Bruno Ganz uh, one of the best movies ever made in my opinion
0: yeah. is that a uh, Heaven over Berlin correct okay. Yeah, and uh, that film and, uh, has uh, Bruno Gantz in it, who also would yeah. eventually play Adolf Hitler later on. And um, yeah, Dalmartin Dal uh, which is uh, yeah. she looks amazing. Like actually, yeah. you know, it's funny. You know, this this came out in 1987. All right, and yeah, uh, you know, it, the things that I found in that period in the 80s continued through the mo- entirety of my, my life. Like, the influences of listening to, like, Bauhaus and The Birthday Party and movies like Wings of Desire and, you know, Sol- Solvig, uh, Don Martin, you know, her look in that film. And yes. it's just that all of that stuff really informed the way the things that I would be attracted to or found interesting or got gravitated towards. And and just the whole style of this movie was, is so, yes. was so influential on me, the black and white. You know the the whole vibe. and it it huh. uh, features a, a performance of Six Bell's Chime by uh, Crime in the City Solution with Roland Howard on stage. And yes. It's kind of an my- iconic uh, you know scene really.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's I have to say, I mean, we will get into favorite songs later on, but I think Six Bell's Chime is my favorite song that uh, Roland Howard was involved in. And especially the performance in black and white on stage it like the coolness of that playing in this old industry building which is to me totally berlin to play in these abandoned industrial shacks um especially like when you tour europe and you play like you're, you're not a band that plays like the proper venues but you do like diy tours and you're used to playing squats and these places if you go to like leipzig dresden uh, Chemnitz, Berlin, and Potsdam, these are the kind of venues that you will play. And this to me, the whole look of it is so distinctly the Brit uh Berlin and it fits well so well together. And Wim Vendus said like when he met met them, like the birthday party, they were still together, and then he's he saw like how they disbanded because Nick was fed up singing the lyrics of Roland S. Howard and like the musical taste diverged and um, so they decided to break it up. And like uh, Mick Harvey like brought the news to Roland S. Howard, but he already said, like, I wonder why I didn't do this earlier. Um, but yeah, Wim Bender said, like for me it was a win win because all of a sudden you had Nick Cave in the back seats and you had Crime in the City Solution, like two bands in town that were amazing. So he had to have both of them in the movie. So they were all still on good terms. And, uh, but he said, like, when, when they came to Berlin and brought, like, not only heroin, but, like, also <laughs> the looks, he said, like, they were like vampires. They disappear during day, and they come out at night. And then it shows, like, a scene of Dr. Caligari. And yeah. it's just like, yeah, that's really accurate. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when we, we talked about this before, it's like, this is the look that got me into goth and this shit. This this show The Kleiner Vampire, so the Little Vampire, this German Canadian co-production, that was in TV in the early eighties. And kids like in, in this youth youth camp in summer, there were like these old French older French kids that were like sixteen and they had like these long coats and like pointy leather boots and the spiky hair, doing pogo to Boys Don't Cry. And I was the chubby kid into New Kids on the Block back then. I'm like, oh man, I have to change something.
0: And yeah, this whole look, that's really still, uh, to this day, it gets me.
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned getting into goth music. Like, I, when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend who was, um, you know, like, we were all into, like, punk and everything. And she was, like, definitely more on the goth side. And I it kind of exposed me to The Cure and that kind of thing. And The Cure was cool, but Bauhaus was what really turned me on to that stuff when I saw The Hunger. And there's yeah. that... Well, the Peter Murphy, you know, they're in it behind a cage and all this stuff and the vampire stuff's going on. and Everyone's wearing dark glasses inside and where where the, the cure seemed always seemed like a little soft to me at the time. Bauhaus seemed like evil and dangerous, you know, and yeah. then yeah. later after that, that's when I discovered the birthday party. And I was like, oh, look at these guys, even even more evil and dangerous, you know yeah and yeah, that that's just kind of a uh, you know the the long coats, the trench coats, and everything. i used, when I was eighteen, i used to I used to toy with that look a little bit, you know, with the long coat and everything, you know
1: yeah. the boots i mean if i if I could, like speaking of the hunger, if I could regulate my hunger better, I probably could be like a slender man, like these guys too. but dude, they they're like skinny warriors, man. It's <laughs> like 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 if, like Nick Cave and Roland S. Howard together are not as heavy as I am um and like this is the cool like they they didn't wear beards like they had spiky hair no beard and they were slim and something I could never pull off but i like, could something to me like the 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 visual aspect always gripped me and like to go back to the berlin thing is um I actually started watching, that. I saw the first episode of Yellow Jackets yesterday because I was bored. And <laughs> like, I, it's okay, but like the distinct look of suburban America is so typical, the houses with the flags and the 7-Elevens and all this shit. And it's just like, when you look at movies place like taking place in Germany, mostly they all look the same. Um, good example, The Golden Glove, like yeah. that, uh, the, the, like a really gruesome, but really good movie I, I, I recommend to people out there. It's like typical Hamburg, the red light district, but it looks really German. But if you look at movies that are like placed in Berlin, like, for example, like Wim Wenders Himmel über Berlin. So, or uh, The Possession, one of my all-time favorite horror movies, Possession plays in Berlin. The remake of Suspiria plays in Berlin too, and I unapologetically like this movie. And just the setting, like these buildings, that's so typical. And I think only
0: Berlin really looks like this, or at
1: least like Eastern Germany, but Berlin, in, in especially. Yeah.
0: yeah, you know what? I I actually like the the Suspiria remake too. I mean, it's it's okay to like both both films. I think you know, they're for me they're
1: completely different movies. Yeah. But like uh, when I saw it, it's just visually so stunning, and the soundtrack and everything is great about this. And again, it has like the setting, the look.
0: By, by the way, did you ever see Possession by now? I gotta see that man. I I, I definitely. Got, I haven't seen it yet. No. Yeah, dude. Like you. Oh man, you will love that movie. And I like, we need to do an episode about this because I totally love that movie
1: dude, too.
0: Yeah. I have to make it a point to see that. I'm 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 embarrassed yeah. that I don't. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So,
1: when Wenders made this movie, and uh, Simon Bonney moved to Berlin, and he said, "Like Roland, I want to have you in that band." So he decided to join the band, but after like not even being in the band for a long time just recording that one record he's on he already felt like he's in a cage and he felt res- restricted and restrained in what he can do so he decided to leave the band and simon bonny uh moved to the US and i mean crime and the city solution has like a bunch of lineups there's one lineup that always involves um uh david eugene edwards of woven hand on a later record which is also great but like crime the city solution is a band that every record has a different sound and a different style and funny enough they just announced that this year they will release a new record and they will tour and that two members of the birthday party are in crime the city solution now in the new lineup
0: oh, i didn't know that who's in it is it like mccarvey or something like that or yeah, I guess yeah, and the it's dude. like any other dude like yeah. He was in the band back in the 80s for for a minute, so yeah. Yeah. And they just like posted it this week that
1: they like they posted two weeks ago that they have a new lineup and they will do a new record and we'll go on tour. And uh then he posted a picture of uh of the birthday party and he said like, yeah, two of these guys are in Crown of the Stitch
0: Solution now. Mm. Cool. But the whole time during during this period, you know, this early period of Roland S. Howard's uh, career, I felt like he was being suppressed in some ways. Cause I think that the true expression was when he's singing, you know, and it wasn't since yeah. the young charlatans that he was actually doing vocals. And then now yeah. he moves into his own with, uh, these immortal souls, you know, where yes. has, it's his band, he's fully able to express himself. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's like if the, in my in some ways it's almost like the beginning for him, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. They recorded just two records: um, "Get Lost, Don't Lie" in '87, and "I'm Never Gonna Die Again." Um, both records, excellent. It's so a hundred percent Roland S. Howard, and uh, it's his style, it's his vocals, and you can really feel like hear it how free he felt doing this and from there it's like he he did a lot of stuff like collaborations with nikki Sutton and with lydia lynch and he moved to new orleans and he was free then finally after this all this time he wasn't as restrained and uh i mean i don't want to jump the gun i don't know like if you have something to say about these immortal
0: souls i assume you like them too right oh yeah no this is great i mean this is honestly i feel like as much as i love the birthday party uh, if I want to look at like, um, the like Roland S Howard as his own man, his own entity, yeah. this is where I would start, you know, but before we move on, like those other footnote bands, like the Nikki sudden collaborations and Lydia Launch, there was also a short lived thing that was kind of like a birthday party go-betweens collaboration, which we, we, we should have mentioned earlier called uh, the tough monks that only had like a, yeah. a, tw- a seven inch that came out like a single. It's actually a pretty, yes. good, pretty good song, you know, and, uh, yeah, I put that in the, uh, in the playlist actually. So you guys could check that yeah. out.
1: Yeah. Spoiler. We've got a playlist and I added some songs this morning, shuffled it up a bit and there's 40 songs in there now. Good. And, uh, that's how much good stuff this man has
0: released over the years. Yeah. You know, I think that in general, based on some of the feedback that people don't mind the long playlist, it kind of gives them yeah. like, uh, You know, people that have contacted me about the playlist, they seem to like the the longer formats with those. Yeah, especially here where it's so much stuff that is, and I think that's the cool
1: thing. Because, like, I mixed up the songs, so it's not like this band, five songs, this band, five songs. But it's like a real shuffle from the get-go. And the cool thing is from all of you out there, if you listen to it, you will always hear that it's Roland S. Howard right, that wrote and played these songs. No matter who's singing, no matter which time frame, but it's always 100% him. Yeah,
0: definitely. You know, Now, as much as I like uh, these Immortal Souls, I have to yeah. say that my favorite stuff, if you were just going to go straight like Roland Howard, would have to be his solo records that he put out. Yep, and um, I'm there you with know. you. Yeah, you know the first one was a teenage snuff film in 1999, and then in 2009, ten years later, he put out Pop Crimes, which is, in my opinion, just a perfect fucking record, man.
1: It is. It absolutely is. This is. It's so good. And I mean, I love Talk Talk, and I I, I give people shit that try to cover Talk Talk, but what what he made of life, uh, it's life. What you make it is amazing. Yeah.
0: You know, the teenage snuff film also has uh you know a couple of covers on it too it's got white wedding of all songs by billy idol yeah and it has um a shangri-la's cover uh she cried yeah which uh it's a great song too even the shangri-la's i mean the shangri-la's quick aside when i was young i listened to before i discovered rock music like modern rock music i listened to a lot of that was like the kind of the formative stuff for me it was like 50s girls group and um, rockabilly and that kind of th- that kind of thing.
1: Oh. And uh, as much as I love how Roland's guitar play, I'm also a sucker because that was my first instruments, the bass guitar. And like through all these bands, there was always great bass players that had like a distinct tone, especially like in the birthday party. And he was what kept all the, all the stuff together. And I have to say like, The bass riff on the song pop crimes and the sound of that bass that's like a wet dream to me i love just the way this record sounds and this bass riff is so good yeah great record i still don't own it on vinyl i need to get that
0: i have it on vinyl but you know for a long time i i remember it wasn't available on vinyl at least not in the united states yeah,
1: I assume like
0: I, I still need to like score a room of lights of of uh, Crime
1: in the City solution and the uh, the Roland solo stuff. So I guess I'll address
0: my old friend Discogs. Yeah. <laughs> when Pop Crimes came out in 2009, it was it's. Uh, I remember I had just moved into uh, this new place in in uh, Greenpoint in Brooklyn, and um, actually you you visited me there. You were, you yes, were in correct. that apartment that I, that loft I lived in, and. Uh, yeah. There used to be a uh, record store just around the block called Permanent Records, and uh, I became very good friends with the owner and, um, you know, go in there all the time. And that was the first time I heard Pop Crimes, like she was playing it in there. And I was like, oh man, this is like, uh, sounds like Roland Howard. And she's like, yeah, it's the brand new pop record. He just put out Pop Crimes and oh, you know, man. Me- immediately bought it and... You know, always, this record always makes me think about that time, like that period when I lived there. And it was before it became like this uh, place, like a destination. Like no one, no one, everyone wondered why I moved to Greenpoint. And I was like, that's why I moved to Greenpoint. Because you wonder why I moved there, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's such a great record. It's, um, you know, probably one of my go-to records. And he passed away shortly after so there is this kind of um finality you know to it when you listen to it it seems like and apparently from what i've read it was made he made this record knowing that he probably didn't have much much longer to live yeah you know and that gives it this extra edge you know in some ways yeah yeah i mean
1: his his lifestyle eventually caught up to him with some some illnesses and uh he tried to get clean and he tried to get better and it wasn't a better place got married again had a kid and all of, over the years and uh yeah he was in a better place but then he had a re- uh, relapse and uh then, like, in, right in the end, he said, "Like, oh no, like I have to get clean now." And he got, he got to a better place. He had a new girlfriend after the like the breakup with his wife. He was happy, and they said, "Like, it looked good." And then all of a sudden, this illness came back, and that's what eventually cost him his life in two thousand and nine,
0: was just fifty years old. Yeah, yeah, it's very sad, man. And and uh, you know, Mick Harvey, uh, you know, he wrote something about it where where he indicated that. You know, a lot of times when people have these illnesses they they are anticipating death you know if they're in pain and all this sort of stuff but roland really wanted to live like he was things were looking up for him um you know he wanted to look into the future he wanted to live but he just wasn't too poor of health and and that's that's what makes it even more tragic you know and, and yeah. even even the documentary you know auto luminescence is like it's almost like this uh you know this this landmark this this um you know they they made that film i feel like trying to capture some sort of legacy for him because there was this understanding that he didn't have much time to live
1: yeah oh man this is like uh it, it must be so hard when you know that it's like your time has come and and he at that point he was happy and he was he was said like I never wrote from a like from a miserable point. Like I love life. It's life is sad. The world is sad, but I love life. And uh, so he wrote the saddest songs because they were just feelings. But eventually, like in the end, he loved his life and he wanted to go on. But like there was this limit to it. And, uh, yeah, and the pop crime has this feel of looking back at everything he did. And I mean, what he can look back at that it's he was a person that was incredibly loved, not only by his fans, but they had like these associates in like all these bands that speak in the highest, highest praise of him. And that you he, he will eternally be missed. And I'm a member of a group and on Facebook in the dedication to Roland S. Howard, the crowned in black post memorial of the immortal soul of Roland S. Howard group. And it's people in there share their love for him all the time. And I am I'm so glad that I found Roland S. Howard and his music because he's really important to me and
0: yeah, I'm thankful for what he did to this world with his music. Yeah, you know, and and the movie, man, I was you know, I, was, I rewatched this recently because, you know, to get ready for yeah. this episode and um it's such like a heavy thing, man, when when someone's gone and you're watching footage of them being interviewed and you know that uh like the final scenes in the documentary just like, you know, there's a camera on him, you know, and you're thinking yeah did he think it, you know, how, did, what, what was, what were his thoughts? Like, was he, did he, you know, what, what did he have thoughts that he was going to be passing soon? Like, you know, like life is uh-huh. running out and I'm not going to be around for much longer. And, and you think about all of that stuff, man, and the personality and the thoughts and the dreams and the vision is all gone. and And it's such a yeah. heavy thing, not, not to get morbid, but, that's just yeah. some of the feelings I had when I watched it this uh, this most recent time.
1: Yeah, I rewatched it again earlier today and I'm unapologetically I had tears in my eyes because it's so touching. And uh, I have a perfect quote to end this episode, but I don't want to use it now because I want to talk about favorite records and favorite songs before that. But remind me later on to finish off this episode with this amazing quote by Roland S. Howard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to choose from here. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and say, um, f- starting with pop crimes. Uh, I know a girl named Johnny is, uh, one of the great songs. Uh, it's, yep. it's like an interesting, uh, lyrical, uh, exp- exploration. Um, I would say from the birthday party, uh, deep in the woods is one of my favorite songs. Um, that's uh just that was probably the song that hooked me the most with uh with the birthday party was that song the guitar playing and just the evil sort of subject matter uh shamed from uh crime in the city solution one of my favorites and um shivers because the lyrics in that are amazing and it wasn't until I really heard Roland singing it that it was yeah. that it moved into being one of my favorite songs because yeah, the Nick Cave version is fine, you know. Yeah. But um I don't even th- I don't even think Nick Nick Cave was at his full powers when he sang that yeah. song, you know, and uh yeah. But with Roland S. Howard's vocals, I think that song was was pretty uh, pretty great, you know. Yeah.
1: My favorite songs um Six Bell Chime, Crime in the City Solution, and Right Man, Wrong Man, the same record. For Birthday Party, it's uh, Release the Bats, um, Fears of Gun, and Nick the Stripper. For uh, These Immortal Souls, it's I Ate the Knife, Hide, uh, Marry Me, and Crowned. Uh, boys Next Door, Shivers, and Roman Roman. His solo stuff, like you said, I know a Girl Named Johnny, Autolunimicent, which is the title of the documentary,
0: um, Breakdown, and then "And Pop Crimes, the song. Actually, I want to add one more uh, song for his solo off of Pop Crimes. There's a song, Shut Me Down. Yes. Which is like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. ah, man, that, you know. At the time that record came out, I wasn't even particularly sad, you know, when that record came out, but I remember Yeah. You know, my life wasn't that bad, you know, it's yeah. uh you know, things weren't were pretty stable for me and, you know, it wasn't horrible and I hadn't really gone through anything that was, you know, heartbreaking or anything particularly at that that yeah. time, but that song shut me down was like so heavy and just so emotional. It was like very very moving and that's um yeah. Yeah, those those two off of the, off of pop crimes are I think are great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah that, that that song is like I forgot this. This is my list here too. Yeah. It's uh it's just so sad. And it's about like when he like uh I forgot the girl's name. She was also in these immortal souls and they were a couple and then he moved away and they kind of like they broke up and then he wrote this song for her. And it's so sad. And the way he sings this, I miss you so much. This is, it's, yeah. And we all, like, we all felt this feeling of loss, the losing someone, but it never sounded as good as the way he sings this one sentence.
0: Because it's such an obvious thing to say, but he puts it in this yeah. song and it's so oh, stark, you know? And, yeah. um, and like I was saying, I, I, was okay like when that when I bought that <laughs> record my life was it was was actually pretty decent and uh, yeah. but he's able to conjure this black cloud over and rain on you you know and it's like yeah. it was so such a great indicator you know that he was an incredible songwriter
2: yeah
1: unbelievable what a what a what a genius man 50 years old what a shame yeah you know so what's uh what's this quote that you had in mind all right. So, yeah, everybody, thanks for listening. Um, I want to end this episode uh, with a quote from the script because he wrote two novels, and I think they've never been published, but uh, one is called Etcetracite, and I found this quote from the book, and I think it sums up the feelings that we just uttered about him being gone and the way he missed, and it goes like this. In a heartbeat, the sky goes out. In another, they're all gone, angels and all. I feel a shadow fall over me, but my eyes can, can no longer open. As I stare up into the vacant blue, there's no weather, and I realize that for the first time now,
0: I am only in dream. Man, that's heavy, man. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, uh, very heavy. Yeah, Yeah, dude. On that note, <laughs> everyone have a nice day. and <laughs> Yeah, enjoy yeah. the
1: sunshine. Dude, everybody out there, please listen to more material involving Roland S. Howard. He needs to, like he needs to, he deserves to be praised more and more people should know about him. Same goes for Jeffrey Lee Pierce and all the other people we mentioned in this podcast, but he's an
0: outstanding artist and yeah, only love for Roland S. Howard. Now, just, just to bring things up a little bit, I wanted to mention something. The, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of, uh, film credits that are, that are mentioned with him in addition to, um, Wings of Desire. So, uh, one of them, well, I'll, I'll read them off. There's another film called into deep that came out in 1990. I don't know what he did in that movie, but he's got, um, you know a film credit okay and then there's uh the 2002 Queen of the Damned have you ever seen that movie <laughs> what no Queen of the Damned 2002 all right now no. it's a horror film it's like uh connected to uh you know some kind of you know vampire Lestat and Rice kind of thing which as much as i want to like the Anne Rice novels i never got into a stat. You know what I mean, I don't know about you, but mm. it, just, it was never no. a thing. But uh, so I ended up renting Queen of the Damned last night. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I, I made it about 10 minutes into the movie, man. <laughs> it was like, there's this vampire who's uh, grown uh, tired, grown weary of living, right? Of immortality. So he goes into this like deep sleep. And, um, you know, hoping that would be death like, you know, that would be escape his existence somehow. And he's in he's in New Orleans, okay. You know, this very uh, very Anne Rice location. And he hears uh, this new metal band playing <laughs> out of his fucking slumber, his you know uh, the aeon long slumber that he's in. He hears a new metal band playing, and he's like, it awakens uh, him, and he he fucking rolls up on their uh, band practice, and he. You know, turns them all into vampires, and he becomes the singer of the band. <laughs> no! Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, I'm probably going to finish watching this at some point this weekend, wow. but I, I was I was getting tired last night, and I'm like, man, I'm not going to stay awake any longer to watch this. But, but I'm probably going to end up finishing it, just because it's such a preposterous, like... <laughs> idea for a movie so any anyone out there if you've you've seen this movie please like chime in on your thoughts on this because i will finish watching (laughs) it this weekend oh man imagine you sleep
1: for eons and then you wake up
0: to like but he (laughs) he he found it palatable like it was something he was into he's like oh you know like the the sound of music of the spheres you know and uh the score Like the the soundtrack has like Static X and the Deftones and you know all this stuff in there. So I don't know how Rowan Howard's involved. Maybe he plays a vampire or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, well he doesn't have to dress up. He just like snatches a cape and then he's good to go. Yeah, yeah. He's, so uh, he's pale, pale and skinny, and has wrinkles under his eyes. So yeah. I can't imagine his music being in the film though, with all this other stuff going on. But I maybe Dude. he's like a you know in the background or something like that. Yeah, maybe it's a featured performance of Limp Bizkit featuring Roland S. Howard doing like a new metal cover of Shivers. <laughs> oh, no, man. Imagine uh, Fred Durst trying to sing Shivers. <laughs> I mean, he sang behind
1: Blue Eyes, dude. He's got the blues. So <laughs> maybe? maybe I...
0: No, man. Yeah. No. Please, please, no. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. And, uh, you know, hope you had fun. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.
2: Well, so long, baby I've had enough I can't ignore it I miss you so much I miss you so much I miss you so much I'm standing in a suit as ragged as my nerves and I agree What I've become is surely worth the hatred That you spent on me The stars above me The night so deep that I could trip or drown us still I see that you were dearly loved To shut me down Solemn soldier, deep in Dutch. I can't ignore it. I miss you so much. I miss you so much. I miss you so I'm standing in it's as ragged as my nerves, and I agree. What I've become is surely worth the hatred that you spent on me. The sky above me, the night so deep that I could trip and drown, and still I see that you would dearly love. To shut me the- i miss you so much i miss you so much i miss you so